It's really encouraging to hear uh, you guys talk about how our, our church has blessed you over the years and, and drawn you closer to Christ, but you guys should know that you've been a huge blessing to us too. And uh, I think everyone would agree with me when I say that. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, we've been in a, uh, a, re- a really brief, just two-week series called Love One Another. And uh, next week, we're going to do something a little different. I'll give you a preview of what's coming up um, over the summer it, when we close here today. But we've just been talking about this idea of loving one another, this command that Jesus gave his disciples, this most important command. And loving one another is one of the hardest things that Jesus ever told us to do. Uh, Last week we talked about how love confronts evil. Today we're going to talk about how love forgives evil. And I want you to listen to something Jesus said to his disciples as uh, he, he was talking about love. He said, In Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 3, he said to them, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's what we talked about last week. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, You could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So in this this passage, Jesus tells us to do something that seems impossible. He tells us to forgive people who repeatedly hurt us. That's what he tells us to do. And listen to what the disciples said to Jesus. Increase our faith. Like they're saying to him, Jesus, we can't do that. We don't know how to do that. We don't have what we need to do that. So increase our faith. And Jesus agreed with them that they needed faith to do that. To forgive people who repeatedly hurt you requires faith. You can't do that without faith. But it's not the quantity of your faith that matters. It's the quality of your faith that matters. It's whether or not your faith is genuine. And if you even have a little bit of genuine faith, You will be able to do something that not very many people in this world can do. You will be able to forgive people who repeatedly hurt you. And it's one of the hardest things in this life that there is to do, is to forgive those people who hurt you over and over again. I met recently with a friend of mine who's not a Christian, and we were talking about what it is that makes Christians different than everybody else. And, and he doesn't really like um, the fact that Christians think they're different than everyone else. He thinks we're arrogant for even thinking that. He, he looks at Christians and thinks that um, when we talk about being different, he thinks we're, that we feel that we think that we're superior to everybody else. And some Christians act that way, right? Some Christians do act like they're better than other people. And that's why he thinks that about Christians. That's why he doesn't like Christians. And he thinks that they're hypocrites and arrogant and all of that kind of stuff. And I found myself defending Christians because I am a Christian. And many of my friends are Christians. And the truth is that as a Christian and someone who, who reads the Bible and who understands what, the, what kind of qualities Christians should have, the truth is that Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. Humility is, is the... Is, is kind of the first thing that happens to you when you become a Christian. You become a Christian through humility, through realizing that you need God, and through realizing that you are desperately lost without God. 
and that there's no hope for you in this world apart from Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian. It's, it's through humility. And, and you don't graduate from humility to something else. And, and in fact, you become more humble as you follow Jesus further in your life. You become more and more humble. You, we, we should be the most humble people on the planet. And, and so we were talking about that. And I eventually said to him, listen, if, if you don't believe me, the, the thing that really makes Christians different than other people is, is the fact that we treat each other like family, even if we're different. No matter where we came from, regardless of our race, regardless of our pedigree or our status, our education, our income, none of that matters. We treat each other like family, even if, even if we're different. And he said, no, you don't. I mean, what do you mean we don't? He's like, you, you, you don't. You, get, you don't treat each other like family because when Christians are, Christian relationships are just like relationships everywhere else. When, when you guys hurt each other, you, just, you avoid each other and you just leave. Some Christian gets hurt by another Christian and you guys just leave. And then you talk bad about each other, just like everybody else. That's been his experience with Christians. And so he said, if, if what you're saying is true, if you guys, if you guys really are, are family and you treat each other like family, even with your differences and all of that, then why is it that when you hurt each other, people leave? That's a great question. I mean, he has a point, doesn't he? He has a point. And, and so if we don't forgive one another when we hurt each other, and, and if we... If we really are being the church, we are going to hurt each other because being the church means we're going to develop relationships and friendships, deep friendships, intimate friendships, where you get to know me and I get to know you and you let me in and I let you in. And eventually, we're going to get close enough where, where my sinful nature is going to come out in some way and I'm going to hurt you or you're going to hurt me. And then, we'll, then our relationship will be put to the test, right? And if I don't forgive you, and if I hold that against you, or, I, or if I don't go to you and talk to you about it, instead I talk to other people about it, then we are giving people in the world a reason to doubt that what we believe is true. We're giving them a reason to believe that the resurrection of Jesus never happened and that our faith doesn't matter. It's, it's all about our relationships. The, and my friend understands that. He doesn't believe in Jesus, but he understands that and he's right about that if our relationships don't pass the test and we're not willing to forgive one another when we hurt each other then it, what we say about jesus just doesn't matter to people it just, and it shouldn't matter to them in romans chapter 12 verse 9 we, we looked at this verse last week we're going to look at it again today and then we're going to look at the rest of the passage the Apostle Paul wrote, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. He goes on in verse 17 to say, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. 
Now, when you read that passage, does that sound different to you? It, it should sound different to you. The kind of people God describes here don't sound normal to me. I have not met very many people who are living this way. I just haven't, and you probably haven't either. When normal people are hurt and abused and betrayed and lied to and taken advantage of, they don't respond this way. They react, they retaliate, they get mad, they get even. They don't wait for God to make it right. They take matters into their own hands. Am I right? But not followers of Jesus. When someone hurts you, you have a choice. You can either be overcome by evil or you can overcome evil with good. That's what he's saying. If you want to hurt them back, if you want them to fail, if you take matters into your own hands and retaliate, you are going to be overcome by evil. You want them to feel how you feel. You want them to see, you want to see them hurt. You, you, maybe you replay that, that offense over and over in your head. That's what it means to be conquered by evil is not forgiving them. So what does it mean to conquer evil with good? That's such a, it, it, it sounds great. It sounds great, but what does it actually mean? Well, the text, the text spells it out for us. There's a few things I want to point out. Back in verse 14 of this same passage, the Apostle Paul said, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's one way that we overcome evil with good. When someone hurts us, when someone wounds us, when someone does something that makes us upset or angry, we bless them by praying for them rather than cursing them, which is maybe what we do sometimes or want to do or do under our breath. We're told we should pray for that person. And that's a way that God can change our heart towards that person. And it's I have tried this many times, and sometimes I've done it well, and sometimes I haven't. But I'm telling you, if, it is really hard to stay angry with someone that you are praying for. It just is. And maybe later this week, you're going to try this, and you're going to get on your knees, and you're going to say something like, God, please bless that idiot. And that's maybe how it starts for you, and that's okay, because maybe that's how you feel inside. And, and it's at least a start, okay? You can't stay there, but that's, you, you've, we've got to start praying for the people who have hurt us, for those people who maybe you consider to be your adversary or your enemy. And that is, praying for those people who hurt you is one of the best ways for you to develop a changed heart, a heart that wants to bless that person, is to pray for them. The second thing we see in the passage is in verse 17, we read, never pay back evil with more evil. So have you ever experienced this? Your, your kid yells at you, so you yell louder. That's, that's paying back evil for evil. Your wife slights you in some way or says something, some sarcastic remark about you, brings up some weakness of yours, and so you do the same. That's paying back evil for evil. That's what that is. We do it all the time, and we don't really give it a second thought. We do it to people in the world when they, when they wound us, when they persecute us. Our natural, our flesh wants to rise up and pay them back. But that's not love. That's not how love works. Love never pays back evil for evil, no matter what. 
And, and some of us have said, I, I can, okay, I'll forgive you. I can forgive, I can forgive you, but I can't forget. I can't forget what you did. And that's kind of like saying, I'm not going to get back, back at you, but I hope someone else does. That's kind of what, they, what you're saying. You're holding on to something, and if you can't forget what they said or did, and you keep replaying it in your mind, something is either wrong or something's incomplete. I, I don't think there's been total forgiveness yet. You have to cancel the debt. That's what forgiveness is. Anytime someone sins against you, they've taken something from you. That's what it feels like. They've taken something from you. They've taken your reputation. They've taken away your pride. They've taken something. And you, and you feel like they owe me. And now they're in debt to you. And forgiveness is canceling that debt. And, and that's what never paying someone back is. It's canceling the debt and saying, you don't owe me anything. Even though you've hurt me, you don't owe me. You don't owe me anything. In verse 20, it says this, give them, if you're, it says if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. What he's saying is, give your enemy what they need. This is how you forgive someone who's hurt you. You give them what they need. What does your enemy need? Do they need help? Maybe they just need someone to listen to them. Maybe they need someone to pay attention to them and just care about them. And maybe you can give them what they need. And, and I would add this, and I think this is really important. If, if you ever want to give, if you ever want to bless someone who has hurt you and experienced true forgiveness, you have to stop seeing yourself as the victim. You'll never be able to do any of this if you see yourself as a victim. As long as you are the victim, you're only going to focus on what you need. And you're going to think, I was wronged. I need justice. I need an apology. I need them to see what they did. No, you don't. You don't need justice. What you need is to leave that in God's hands. That's what God is for. And what you need is to stop seeing yourself as the victim and to wait for God to make it right. And if you can see that person that hurt you as the object of God's love, it will change you. If you can see them, not as the offender, but as the object of God's love, you will be in a position to demonstrate God's love to them. You, you will be in a position to do that. And, and the last thing that we read in this passage is actually in verse 16, where we're told to live in harmony with, live in harmony with each other, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, lowly people, and don't think you know it all. That's what verse 16 says. We're told to be humble. We're told to be humble. And it, it is, like I said before, it, it's really hard to stay angry at someone you're praying for. It's also really hard to stay angry with someone unless you feel superior to them. If you feel superior to them, you can stay angry with them as long as you want. It'll feel really easy. And it's even harder to forgive someone you feel superior to. But if, you will be, if you're able to see yourself with sober judgment, that's what Paul talks about back in verse 3. He says, well, you have to look at yourself with sober judgment. Don't think you're better than you really are. That's what the verse says. Don't think too highly of yourself. Man, I, I'm telling you, if every single one of us in the church could see each other with sober judgment, we would solve 
half of all the problems and obstacles that we have. If every one of us could just see ourselves with sober judgment. But in, we don't. We look at ourselves, we, we, look, we think we're better than we are. That's why it is so hard for us to forgive people who hurt us. Because we think we are better than we are. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we see ourselves with sober judgment? How do you get a right view of yourself? And the answer is through the gospel of Jesus. It's through the good news that Jesus died for your sins because you were a wicked person and you needed someone to die for your sins, someone who is righteous to bring you back to God. That's what the gospel says Jesus did. The gospel says God loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemies, and he changed us from enemies to friends. He adopted us into his family while we were like orphans, while we were dysfunctional, messed up, aged out orphans. God adopted us into his family, not because of anything we did, not because of anything in us, but because of who God is. Not because we are great, but because God is great. That's what the gospel says. God always makes the first move. He didn't wait for us to move towards him. He made the first move. In Deuteronomy verse seven, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, the, Moses is telling the Israelites about how God feels about them. And this is what he says. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. So here Moses is telling Israel, this is why God chose you. Out of all the nations in the, on the earth, this is the reason God, God chose you. And why did God choose Israel? Have you ever wondered that? Why Israel? What's so special about Israel? The answer is nothing. There's nothing special about them. Are they a superpower? No. They're small. Are they worthy? No. Are they better than all the other nations? No. They were small and insignificant. And that is the reason God chose them. is because of their insignificance. And because of his love. It's like God saying, I love you just because I love you. It's just because I set my affections on you. It's not because of anything in you. It's not because you're special or powerful or strong or big. It's just because I love you. And God, and it's the same thing with us. God did not choose us because we're special. He, does, he didn't choose us because of what we have to offer him. He doesn't choose us because he needs us. And, and here's why this matters. When we realize that we were small and insignificant, when God reached down to us and woke us up and drew us near, we will be able to love people who have nothing to offer us. We will be able to love people who seem unattractive to us, who seem unlovable, people who we don't even like. We will be able to love them because we know that that's how God first loved us. And no one else can do that. Without Christ, you can't do that. I don't know how. I've never met anyone who can do that without Jesus. Even nice people, people with standards, moral people, people who try to be good, they can't love this way. They don't have the power. They don't have hearts that have been melted and transformed by God's unconditional love. I was... I was um, 
in the spring, fall and spring are crazy busy for our family because we have kids who play soccer and their games every weekend and practices every day, it seems like. We're always running around and we, we were at a game this, the other day and I was standing around with some dads who I'm just getting to know and we were, we were talking, they, they live in my city, we were talking about, um, we are just talking about the game and about life and they started telling me uh, about this other dad who's pretty well known in our community um, because of his, his son is a, a remarkable athlete. And these dads were telling me how much of a jerk this guy is. He's just a total jerk. The, the biggest jerk you'll ever meet. And they didn't really, they didn't use the word jerk. I'm using the word jerk. <laughs> and um, they're just telling me, and, and to make their point, to prove to me that this guy is the biggest jerk, they told me about the nicest guy they've ever met. And they all know this other guy. He's super nice, the nicest guy you'll ever met. He, you've ever met. He'll give you the shirt off his back. He would never hurt a fly. But he wants to punch this other guy in the face. He wants to kill this guy. And I mean, if he wants to hurt, and I'm thinking, wow, this guy must really be a jerk if the nicest guy in the world wants to punch him in the face. <laughs> but here's the thing. Nice people are not godly people. There's a difference between a nice person and a godly person. Nice guys don't confront sin. Nice guys don't forgive people who hurt them over and over and over again. They avoid them. Only people who have been transformed by God's love can love others the way God has loved us. Only people who believe the gospel and who love Jesus, who've been transformed by God's love, can forgive someone who hurts them over and over again. Nice guys can't do that. And I want to let you in on a little secret today, and some of you already know this, I'm sure. If you've been in and around churches for any length of time, leading a church is hard. Whether you've been in, in leadership at any point in your life or not, leading a church can be really hard. And, and I'm so glad that I'm part of a team. I, I'm part of a team. We, are, we, are, we lead by plurality. That's how we lead as a church. And we have since the beginning. And the best thing about our team is the relationships. And the hardest thing about our team is the relationships. It's, it's the best and the worst thing about our team. Some naive person might think, being in church leadership must be wonderful. I mean, everyone on your team is a godly, mature person. And they don't have any real deep sins in their lives. And they might, you guys must just get in your holy huddles and talk about winning all the time. No. That's not, that's not how it works. What really happens is we don't always get along. Sometimes I wonder if we even like each other that much. Sometimes we hurt each other because we're all different and we're all competitive and we don't like losing arguments and we don't like looking bad in front of each other and we don't like each other's ideas all the time and sometimes some dude on my team will slight me or say, you know, make some jab or, or throw me under the bus in front of the rest of the team and it hurts and I don't even think they mean to do it but it hurts. And I've done the same thing to brothers on my team. And I think to myself, dude, we're on the same team. What is wrong with you? And I'm sure they think the same thing. And I think about retaliating in the moment. That's what I want to do. I want to retaliate. I want to put them in their place. I want to say, what is wrong with you? What are you talking about? I don't deserve that. That's what I want to do. And I feel it in my heart. I feel it. 
I feel that desire to get back, to pay back. I feel that desire like, okay, I'm losing. I'm losing something. They're taking something from me right now, and I've got to get it back right now. And you know why I feel that way? Because I love being right. And I love being respected, and I love having the praise of other people. I'm so full of sin. And I need the gospel every single day. I want to win. I want to win. And then God reminds me that we're brothers, and I don't get to hold that stuff against them. And if I start keeping a record of your wrongs, we all lose. And if I hold on to my anger for even an overnight, I'm in trouble. And if I don't deal with it right away, we lose. If I don't forgive you, we all lose. Winning arguments is satisfying, but winning people is what we're made for. And how do you win people who seem to want to hurt you? Kindness, blessing, forgiveness. Ray Ortland is one of my favorite authors. He said this, When the gospel actually sinks in, we change. Winning no longer matters. Getting in the last word no longer matters. Payback no longer matters. We now perceive such things as contemptible compared with the display of God's grace in Christ. Unbelieving people are not impressed by our official positions on paper. They will not pay attention, nor should they, until they see the beauty of the gospel in our relationships. When we get hurt or angry because of what someone has said or done to us, it's because our ego has been wounded. It's because we think we're better than we are. That's why it happens. That's why you feel that. And so we think, I don't deserve to be treated this way. I deserve your respect. I deserve an apology. But listen to what the Apostle Paul said when he was being mistreated by people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he said this, we work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who, cure, who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. Are you okay being treated like trash? Are you okay with being treated like garbage, like scum? If you know Christ, you should be. You should almost be used to it. Would you be willing to bless people who treat you like trash? Because following Jesus is the most joyful, exciting life there is, but it comes at a cost, and that's the cost. You have to be willing to let people treat you poorly and not retaliate but instead bless and forgive. That's what makes us different. That's what points people to Jesus. It's not necessarily our words. It's not necessarily our statement of faith or some great event that we put on here at the church. It's our relationships. And that's exactly what Jesus did. I want you to listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. It says, For God called you to good, even if it means suffering. 
Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. We've been talking about that this spring. We've been talking about how by Jesus' wounds we've been healed, right? And, and here's how we think. When someone wounds us, when someone hurts us, we think the only way we will heal is if they get wounded back. Like, by their wounds, I'm going to be healed. That's how we think about it. We think we will be healed when they hurt. When they hurt the way they hurt us. When they hurt like we hurt, then I'll be healed. But that doesn't ever happen, does it? You take revenge, you pay them back, you retaliate. Does that heal you? Does that give you peace in your innermost being? No, it never could. The only wounds that will ever give you peace, the peace that you need, the joy that you long for, are the wounds of Jesus, are his forgiveness of your sins. And at the cross of Jesus Christ, you and I lost the right to withhold forgiveness from other people. We lost that right because of the shed blood of Jesus We lost our right to say, you know what, I'm not ready to forgive them yet. I'm not there yet. I'm working on it. Because Jesus died for us while we were still God's enemies. He died for us knowing how wicked we would be, knowing how many times we would fail, knowing how many times we would promise God something and then break that promise, knowing how many times we would pray and then wander. Jesus forgave all of that. And he loved us when we had nothing to offer him. And he commands us as our king to cancel every debt. And I don't know what pain you've suffered at the hands of bad people. Some of you have been divorced. And it's the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And it has made you a different person. And your spouse, your your ex-wife or ex-husband has put you through incredible pain and hardship. Maybe someone has abused you verbally or worse, maybe even physically, and left scars in your life and in your heart, or even on your body. I don't know what kind of pain you've gone through in your life and who has caused you that pain, but here's what I know. In Christ, we can never give up on people. We can never give up on anyone. And the way we don't give up on them is we forgive them over and over again, believing that God is not through with them. And I've been wondering these last few days, if forgiveness means canceling every debt, it means that I don't owe you anything and you don't owe me anything. And what would it be like if we were the kind of church that forgave this way? What what, what if we were the kind of church that really loved each other the way that Jesus told us to? What if we were the kind of church that told each other the truth and, and did, never gave up on each other. And every time you got hurt by someone, you forgave them. And every time you hurt someone else, they would forgive you. 
And what if we were the kind of church that just decided, we just decided and determined in our minds that no matter what anyone else in this church does to me, I'm going to forgive them no matter what. What would that do to us? I mean, would it make us bigger? Would we start to grow like crazy? I don't know. I don't really care. That's not important. We would get stronger. We will get stronger as a church. We will get healthier. We will become a beautiful church. The kind of church that points people to Jesus. We don't necessarily need more programs or more outreach to win more people. What we need first is more love. More love for each other. More love for Jesus. More love for our world. So much love that when someone hurts us or betrays us or lies to us or drags our name through the mud, we turn around and we don't retaliate. Instead, we bless, we forgive, we love. That's what's different. That's what's going to make us beautiful as a church. Will you commit to loving each other that way? Will you commit to loving me that way? As your brother, will you determine to cancel those debts? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that at the cross of Jesus, you canceled our debt of sin. You, you, you erased our sin, God. You, you covered it through the blood of Jesus Christ, and you judged us on the cross. You, you judged us in the body of Jesus Christ. That's where our sin was dealt with, was in his body on that cross. And you have nailed that record of, of wrongs that we've done, and you've nailed that record of, of rights that we've never done. All of it was nailed to the cross, God, and we are free. We are free. We don't have to wonder when you're going to get us back or pay us back, God. You have already dealt with our sin. And we've been set free from the punishment our sin deserves. God, we will, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to feel guilty. We don't have to feel shame anymore. And when people hurt us, we can love them because of the way that you've loved us. So God, make us a church that forgives one another. Make us a church that loves one another the way you've loved us. May, may we be one like you are one with your Son and your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before I let you go today, I just want to give you a, a quick heads up of what's coming up. Uh, next week, we have a guest speaker coming in. His name's Jason Montano, and he shared with us uh, last fall. I don't know if some of you remember him. Uh, he shared when we did our, um, our special tribute to Don and Sharon, and uh, it was really cool. And he's uh, the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Slinger. And I just want to remind you, when I bring in a guest speaker... I bring in someone who's better than me every time. You, you, I'm not like some, guy, some pastor who brings in some okay guy. I'm going to bring in a guy who's, who's really just a, a great leader and a great communicator, and you're going to love him. He's, um, he's really going to challenge us on what it means to follow Jesus. I'm so excited to have him come share with us next week. And uh, then we're going we're gonna to bless him as he leaves, and um, it's going to be a really special service. So next week, Jason Montano is going to be here. And uh, you're going to get to know him a little bit and what um, God's called him to do in the city of, of Slinger, planting a church. It's going to be really exciting. And then after that, we're going to launch a new series called Big Questions About God. And over the course of the summer, we're going to talk about questions that people have about God and about Jesus and about the Bible. And this would be a great series for you to bring a friend. 
Uh, someone in your life who maybe hasn't decided to follow Jesus yet and because they have questions, they have doubts, they have reservations. They, they just aren't sure. And so that's what this series is going to be about. And not only is it going to be great for people who aren't sure about Jesus, but it's also going to be great for you, who, those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, because some of you, I, and I know this about some of you, you just believe what you believe because you've always believed it. And that's not a really good reason to believe in Jesus. I'm just being honest with you. You need to know why you believe. You need to be able to defend your faith to people who ask you about the hope that you have in Christ. And some of you don't know how to do that. And so we're going we're gonna to equip you how to do that through this series. So this is going to be a really um, a interesting, I think, um, insightful and powerful series where we start talking about those questions that many people, maybe you have wrestled with those questions, and if you haven't, you should. And so we're going to talk about big questions about God over most of the rest of the summer, and I'm excited to start that series in a couple of weeks. So thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to have you rise, and I'm going to give you the benediction this morning from Ephesians chapter 3. So please bow your heads with me. And this is what we read in Ephesians chapter 3. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. May you experience this love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. We'll see you at a la carte this afternoon.